0: Welcome to the Eye of Power podcast. I'm your host, Tom Dardick. But this podcast is not about me. It's about you and your power. It's time to claim yours. In this episode, I hope is to inspire you to think about how we make choices in life. Our focus today is on a challenging subject. The Advantages of Evil. Now, before you think I'm recommending evil actions, let me clarify. This isn't a guide on how to be evil, nor is it an endorsement of doing evil things. Rather, it's an honest reflection on why the path to immorality can be seductive, and as a result, avoiding moral pitfalls is a challenge we must all face. Beyond this broad framing of the concept of evil... We'll look at how we can use it to improve the quality of our choices. And we'll use the Eye of Power model to help us be as clear and diligent as we can while we do that. You ready? Let's start by getting clear about our terms. What is evil? In our imaginations and our stories, we picture evil and think ugly, misshapen, mean, or malicious. In the real world, what does evil look like? There are those who are born with a fascination for causing harm, for example. I'm talking about kids who may pull the wings off flies or, more disturbingly, delight in harming pets or even siblings. If not treated early... These children can grow to be psycho or sociopathic monsters. Those are the kinds of people we conventionally call evil. But we need not be born with such a disposition to fall into evil behaviors. Members of gangs or cartels who live in a culture where being ruthless is, if not a badge of honor, is at least a mark of status, lose empathy for others and become capable of monstrous acts we call evil. I've never been in a gang... I don't know anybody in a gang, and the only knowledge I have of what it's like to be in a cartel comes from shows like Breaking Bad, so I don't know the mindsets of people like that. I gather that many in that world don't think killing or torturing is right or good, it's just required for them to thrive, even survive. But there are those who rape, torture, or kill the innocent and believe they're doing good that would be religious extremists, whether it's the Islamist jihad of today or the witch hunting of Salem in the past. The social conditioning of our surroundings is our make-or-break proposition. When we're inundated by ideology and we fail to critically examine its tenets, we're at particular risk. Ideologies often present an ideal world separate from the world we actually live in. The ideal might be a utopia of equality, a nationalist dream, a religious paradise, or a technocratic future. When believers in an ideology take radical actions to bring about this ideal state, they often ignore the complexities of human nature, social structures, and economics. Consequently, they may end up causing more harm than good, all while being convinced of their righteousness. The social psychology of groups can exacerbate this tendency. In an environment where an ideology goes unchallenged, groupthink can set in. This leads to poor decision-making and can cause the group to make ethical blunders, all while believing they are upholding some higher moral standard. The dynamics of in-groups and out-groups can lead to dehumanizing the other, making it easier to commit atrocities against them. Then, there are the leaders of nations or armed groups who do terrible things in the name of a greater cause. Mostly, those people turn out to be power-mad psychopaths out for their own ends. These are the most famous monsters of all. Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Castro, and the like. Generally, people label those who cause mass death and suffering evil. But evil isn't an either-or present or not, kind of a thing. As we saw, one person's evil is another person's good. But there are some nearly universal notions of at least right and wrong. And this brings the issue into all our lives. At the smaller scales of the course of an individual's life, evil becomes harder to detect. What differentiates an evil act from one merely selfish or short-sighted? Evil is a charged term. Some people don't even believe it has any real meaning. I disagree. I think it helps us to look at the darker side of human nature. Why? Because it lives in all of us. This is what Carl Jung called shadow work. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously noted, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? If we are unwilling or unable to look at that part of ourselves, we have no path to agency. We remain slaves to biological impulse. So for our purposes, we're going to focus on a broader definition of evil. When we say evil here in the Eye of Power community, we're not usually talking about the obvious instances of delighting in another's suffering. Evil doesn't start there. It works on a continuum. Broadly, we call something good if it's beneficial, meaning it adds to purpose. And we'll call the opposite evil. That means acts which are destructive, harmful, or counter to purpose. I suppose we should clarify the term purpose, too. Purpose in the eye of power model is doing that for which we are designed. To take the concept to the inanimate, A screwdriver is good if it helps us attach or unattach screws. It's not good if we see it as a hammer and use it to pound nails. This definition is not universal. There are schools of thought that would completely disagree. Generally speaking, philosophies attached to the idea of nihilism hold incompatible views. For example, around the end of the 18th century, Friedrich Jacobi coined the term nihilism as a criticism of earlier and perhaps more celebrated work of Baruch Spinoza, whose philosophies were reductionist and emanated from a belief in a universal substance that he considered nature or God. Soren Kierkegaard in the 19th century recognized something he called leveling, which was the removal or repression of individual traits as a consequence of an emergent mass culture. He criticized this effect as nihilistic. Perhaps Friedrich Nietzsche dealt with the topic most comprehensively. He saw that a reduction to meaninglessness, the opposite of purpose, was in essence a green light to any act, and thus an invitation to evil. Villains most commonly fall into this trap. They may be in pain themselves, and through a process related to the psychology of how humans socialize, wish to spread or share that pain. They may believe life isn't worth living, and so whether they or others live is not their preeminent question. This is not to say that villains are common. A small minority of people see themselves as a bad person. A study of 2,000 U.S. adults by one poll showed three in four saw themselves as fundamentally good. Yet does that mean most of us do good all the time? No, it doesn't. No matter how good we believe our intentions, we are not inoculated from doing wrong, if not straight-out evil. So the question is, why do people do wrong at all? Why is it so easy to fall into the traps that we label evil? I ask you this because your personal power, your ability to create the life you're meant for, depends on it. Evil through the eye of power lens. As the Eye of Power model identifies four quadrants where we can direct our energy and therefore exert personal power, we'll consider four dynamics. In the Purpose quadrant, which describes our actions directed toward others, we'll consider the nature of evil and how we should take care with our choices as it relates to destruction versus creation. In the Pain quadrant, which describes our actions directed toward ourselves, The dynamic we'll explore is denial versus acceptance. In the perception quadrant, which is defined by our attitudes toward ourselves, we'll look at deception versus discovery. And in the people quadrant, which is defined as our attitude towards others, we'll look at callousness versus kindness. Now, with all complicated subjects, which is nearly everything when it comes to human behavior and psychology, these are not neatly contained there is overlap. The eye of power model is handy in that it helps us keep things straight and top of mind. We could include more dynamic spectra as it relates to behavior we might consider evil, such as expedient versus comprehensive, selfish versus selfless, and others. So consider what I'm sharing today, food for thought, not a definitive and complete treatise. Okay, let's get to it. Destruction versus creation. We associate evil with destruction and good with creation, don't we? I should just acknowledge that both forces are natural and necessary. Birth and death. Entropy versus neg-entropy. Order and chaos. Yin and yang. The world is based upon dualities. At risk of unsavory association, it was the Marquis de Sade who said, Destruction, hence, like creation... Is one of nature's mandates. There is creative destruction and destructive creation. But that's a bit of a shell game because destroying something bad, obsolete, or draining is a net good, just as creating something malignant is a net bad. So, with the caveat and risk of oversimplifying, let's just stipulate destruction is evil and creation is good. Do you remember playing with building blocks, Legos, Lincoln Logs, or something similar as you were growing up? It took a lot longer, more thought, effort, and care to build a structure than it did to knock it down, right? If you had siblings, you may have experience with someone in the family, maybe you, spending perhaps hours building something just for another in the house, maybe a mean big brother, a clueless little sister, or maybe even you to come by and in mere seconds erase the architectural mastery from existence. It's much easier to destroy than create. The amount of sophistication, cost, effort, time, however we'd like to measure the value or investment, to build something is nearly always greater than what it takes to destroy. That ease creates a power imbalance. Those who are willing to destroy have an advantage over those who are trying to build. This is the basis of kidnapping, extortion, and other such evils. We can go scorched earth and hurt people by tearing down things they value, either to threaten to bend them to our purpose or as a retaliation for hurts, real or imagined, intentional or not. To navigate this aspect of evil, the magic is in cultivating a sense of purpose. If you don't have a ready answer for what your purpose is, you can always work on it. Remember what we're pointing to here. Purpose is you harnessing the unique talents and capacities you possess and placing them at best use in service for others. That means taking stock of yourself, investing in areas of relative strength, and coming up with creative ways to leverage the things you can do. This pursuit takes up as much energy as we can muster. It doesn't leave a lot of space for destructive behaviors. <laughs> Versus acceptance. Truth is where our power resides. Denial is a rejection of truth. Whenever we lie to ourselves, we weaken ourselves. Mahatma Gandhi agreed when he said, When I despair, I remember that all throughout history the way of truth and love has always won. There have been tyrants and murderers, and for a time they can seem invincible. But in the end, they always fail. Think of it. Always. Much of the everyday, non-dramatic, perhaps even unintentional evil that we do is a result of denial. Denial of what? Denial of the real. Remember, we're in the pain quadrant now, where our self-directed actions are shaped and limited by our aversion to pain. We protect ourselves by avoiding that which we feel may be painful. Whether it's real or true or not is often a secondary consideration to pain avoidance. When we deny reality, we take shortcuts. We take the easy way. And when we do, we can easily compromise ethically, choosing that which will support our delusion over the painful truth we're trying to avoid. Our power lies in acceptance. Now, that's a compound issue, too because we must accept the real and true so that we're positioned to exert our power to change things to how we want them to be. We must accept first. Then we decide not to accept. At that point, we take powerful action. Evil wins when our labors are based upon falsehoods. That's how people fall into the traps of gangland or radically violent social pressures. Deception versus discovery. It's easy to talk about truth and reality, it's much harder to always know what they are. George Orwell said, to see what is in front of one's nose needs a constant struggle. And the Buddha said, it is a man's own mind, not his enemy or foe, that lures him to evil ways. We can indeed be our own worst enemy. Denial because of pain aversion in the pain quadrant is one internal adversarial force. The other is the deception that lurks within our attitude towards ourselves in the perception quadrant. Sometimes, it's the things we don't know that causes us to underperform, miss, or do things we might later regret. More often, it's not what we don't know, but the things we think we know, that are not quite true, that leads to our missteps. The most insidious deceptions are the ones that are nearly true, almost true, but not quite true. They work most of the time. It's only when the situation is most crucial, an important decision, a critical factor overlooked, when that 1% error makes 100% of the difference in outcome. How do we guard against the evils of deception when no matter what we do, we don't know what we don't know? Yes, discovery. But how do we discover things, especially when we think we already know them? humility. Our egos are particularly complicit in leading us away from humility and into exposure to the seductive qualities of feeling superior, more deserving, entitled, or victimized. Humility, combined with the acceptance of the pain quadrant, is a path through that maze. That path leads towards greater enlightenment, openness, and more immunity from the adverse effects of internal adversaries. Versus kindness. Moving into the people quadrant, defined as our attitude directed toward others, we face new challenges. Our disposition is generally something we're born with, something over which we have little control. Yet courtesy and consideration are power habits that can be learned and strengthened. Evil lives in conditions deprived of these ingredients. Edmund Burke said, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And Albert Einstein agreed when he said, The world will not be destroyed by those who do evil, but by those who watch them without doing anything. Why do we sometimes behave callously, and at other times we act with kindness? Why not be kind all the time? The answer is related to what we've already discussed. It takes more energy, strength, honesty, and courage to be empathetic and kind. It's much easier to ignore, hide, avoid becoming emotionally invested. We feel safer when we wall ourselves off either physically, emotionally, or both. When we do, we risk becoming callous. And we can stand by and watch while evil goes unchecked. The biggest evils in human history would never have happened if this wasn't a normal human response. It takes an unusual amount of courage to do right when there are real risks in doing so. But this is a choice we all face in our lives. This is why it's important to associate with people who are strong in character and disassociate as much as we can from those who are compromised. But that doesn't mean we aren't considerate and kind to them. So, let's wrap up our episode this week. Our sense of agency is delicate. Most of our brain activity is subconscious. To develop the personal power that comes with our agency, we build conscious constructs that channel our behaviors. We must treat them with the utmost respect. Shortcuts such as lying, not trying our best, blaming others, or cheating erode such constructs. With them gone, We go from being free to being slaves. We become chained to the lower parts of ourselves. While perhaps we gain the benefits of pleasurable short-term indulgences, the price is dear. We lose our potential and the ripple effects that occur when we bring our best in the service of others. The world gets less beautiful, less harmonious, and suffering and hardship increase. Yes, the stakes are high, that means this call is not a simple one. It takes work. We struggle if left on our own. That's why we need other people. That's why in the Eye of power community, we always have guides, and we help others as guides ourselves. There's power in the focused and alignment of a group. And groups dedicated to mutual benefit? We all need that. Especially if we want to protect ourselves from the lure of the expedient, the easy, the safe. Especially if we want to muster the strength of character that allows us to be a force for good in this world. Let's go. This has been the Eye of Power podcast with Tom Dartick. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd also like to thank my brother, Scott Dardick, for the music and his music production. If you'd like to reach me, simply email tom at dardickcommunications.com.